All right. Hello, Eduardo. Think I'm in. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. Cool. Grace, uh, how's your day and everything going today for you? Pretty good. Got off work, and I'm uh, I'm ready to host a little podcast right now. For sure, definitely. Uh, it's going to be the first podcast, so I'm also very excited about this. Um, so uh, just tell us a little uh, about your background. My name is Ryan. I'm a graduate from the University of Illinois, Chicago. I'm a conservative, and I think talking about uh, various political topics is important, especially for people around our age. And uh, I wanted to join this podcast today just to sort of help push the conversation along. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's important for us to talk about this. I think conversation uh, opens eyes, right? And it gives different perspectives. So, uh, so my name is Eduardo, um, and I'm, also, I'm a student at UIC. We'll be graduating soon. I'm a civil engineering student, uh, but I have many organizations that I'm a president of in terms of with politics, with a political science. Uh, and I'm, by ideology, I'm a classical liberal. So today's topic, we're going to be diving into and really talking about uh, white supremacy and uh, breaking that down. So uh, what do you have to say about this, uh, Ryan? Well, let's start off with, this is an incredibly large topic because it's brought up so much in the media, in the news and whatnot. So it's important, I think, first of all, just to sort of define what we mean when we say white supremacy. Uh, And so personally, when I talk about this term or I hear it used in conversation, I, I sort of get this idea of like an overarching racial hierarchy in which white people are put on the top and everyone else is put somewhere beneath them in some order. And I think that this term, while it has some historical precedent in the past, has no relevance today and is in fact a tool used by uh, the political left in order to censor and to persecute conservatives or anyone just not of the left-wing progressive agenda. Yeah, definitely. I do agree with you that. Now, it's actually interesting, a little funny. So if you actually search up the definition of white supremacy, I mean, I'll read you the definition right here. It says, the belief that white people constitute a superior race and should therefore dominate society typically to the exclusion of or detriment of other racial and ethnic groups, in particular black or Jewish people. So technically it's saying that white supremacy is the belief that white people should dominate society to the exclusion of black and Jewish people. Now, if somebody asks me, do I believe in white supremacy? I'm going to say no, because I don't believe that they should dominate to the exclusion of black and Jewish people, which is kind of interesting, like the definition of what it is. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Like, since that's the official definition, it's kind of interesting that they toss in Jewish people in there because I feel like they're a sort of gray area where a lot of the times people categorize them as white just because of their uh, mixture with European people over the centuries. So it's it's kind of funny that that's just in the definition. Yeah, and you know, I I started learning about white supremacy before because obviously the news was saying a lot, but then it's, they started confusing me as well because, like you said, it's almost like an overarching term where they just start calling several people white supremacy, people who are not even white, right? And we just try to really censor people, people with conservative voices. I mean, for example, let's take a look at Candace Owens, right? She's a black uh, woman who's a political commentator, and she was labeled a white supremacist, right? So that to me doesn't make any sense because she's black, she's a woman. And then uh, let's look at let's look at uh, for example uh, Ben Shapiro. I mean, he was called a white supremacist, and he was also called a Nazi, 
right through with the sensor. And, I mean, if he is Jewish, yeah. and it just goes, <laughs> it's like backwards. So it doesn't really make sense sometimes. Yeah, Ben Shapiro is probably the most mainstream Orthodox Jew that you can ever encounter. So calling him a white supremacist is the highest level of irony. <laughs> yeah, and 12 to call him a Nazi. I mean, I can understand if someone doesn't like him, that's fine. But to see, it's an overarching term. It's almost calling anyone to really cancel them because when someone hears that's a white supremacy, then people don't really want to plug into that. So it's just a way to really cancel someone in some sense. Yeah, it's really... A lot of the times when it's used nowadays, it's used to, like we said earlier, to censor people, to basically say, oh, if you believe in this, you're a white supremacist. And just by uh, gradual experience, people normally associate that with badness because it is bad. And so the idea behind calling someone a white supremacist, even though they don't hold the views of a white supremacist, is to have them shut out of the national conversation, to have them censored, to have them kicked off social media because, you know, white supremacy is against the terms of conditions of basically every major social media site. And even if someone isn't practicing these beliefs, just the accusation or being called it is oftentimes enough to have conservatives kicked off of these sites. Yeah, I mean, I even heard people who are Trump supporters or even Mexican people be called white supremacists. It's like some guy's name has, you know, a Hispanic name. Uh, Jorge, he's a white supremacist as well. So it doesn't <laughs> yes. make sense at all. Um, but okay, let, let, let's look deeper. You know, most people see white supremacy different than what the definition is. They see it as kind of how, how you said it, that, you know, white people really are the ones in power, right? With the ones with most wealth and uh, everybody else is not part of that. But let's, let's dive deeper into this. And what I was looking at, I was looking at, um, for example, statistics on millionaires, right? And what the statistics actually show is that uh, 80% actually of uh, millionaires are actually uh, first generation. Okay. Actually, on most, on most economic sites, even on uh, U.S. news on money, uh, they all say 80% or higher. Some, some numbers even say 88% they are first generation. Right. And, and the, the reason they say this is because they said American economic, economy is fluid which means, you know, some generation might be rich, but then the next generation might lose that wealth or two generations down that, that generation, might, that wealth might be, might be lost. But then in another generation, they, their kids might actually become millionaires, right? So it just changes. It's drastically changing. And a lot of people have this idea that that wealth's almost like upward linear, right? That your parents are wealthy and then you're wealthy and then your kids are even more wealthier, right? And it just keeps going like that. When reality, I mean, what the data shows is that, no, it doesn't like this. It's fluid. Parents might be rich, and then kids might end up losing all that wealth, right? So so that's really what it shows the data here. It's not, it's not like that at all. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting factoid that you bring up. Because when you look at the amount of wealth that's been generated over the past, say, 20 years or so, but basically the, the technological revolution with the in, increased capabilities of computers and whatnot, and the, the sheer volume of wealth that's been created, it's been more than what was created over the past 5,000 years of human society. And so when we're talking about the ideas of like white supremacy and racism, and we look at the fact that all this wealth has been created in these, <clears throat> these past few years, it really discounts any, uh, any of the arguments that have to relate it to historical racism or things like redlining, because this wealth was create is created during a period in which none of these, you know, de facto uh, racial policies are in place. 
And so using the arguments of historical racism doesn't make any sense because this wealth was created far after the time period of which, you know, these things were happening. And so if there's any disparities, then it has to be something, it has to be due to something other than, you know, the white supremacist hierarchy or, you know, the patriarchy or just that similar uh, vein of ideas. Yeah, and I mean, like, look at any 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 article on economics. I mean, this is not like a controversial thing that almost all of them agree that that wealth is more analyzed through the current generation to explain the wealth, not through past generations, right? Because, like I said, eighty to eighty-eight percent. I mean, that's almost all, everyone. Yeah, millionaires actually through first generation. It's not because their great 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 grandparents were millionaires. Obviously, that does happen, but it's the majority of cases it, it, that's not the case. And actually, I was in uh, Tennessee recently. You know, I flew through Tennessee. I I fly to several different states, and I was actually even um, um, studying the history of America. And I was in some homes that were even from the Confederacy, and I learned from many different families from that as well. And what I learned, the one thing that was in common is that many of them lost their wealth through generations. They're, you say one family was wealthy and then their kids inherited that wealth, but then the kids after that lost their wealth. And the kids after that maybe wanted to build back the wealth and then they lost it again. So it was just like, it's not like an upward trend, it's more like a roller coaster <laughs> through all the families, really. Yeah, wealth is an interesting thing. Typically, when we look at, say, like an entire generation of people, you know, each gener- each successful generation is more wealthy than the last. But if we look at, say, individual people within that generation and their specific families, it's really variable just based off of, you know, the personal decisions of that person, uh, their upbringing, various other cultural factors, as well as personal choices. Like all these things sort of mesh together. And, you know, if you've done more good choices in your life and you've had, you know, a better upbringing, then of course you're going to be doing better than someone else. But if you have poorer choices or, uh, you know, your upbringing wasn't the best, then of course you're going to obviously see some sort of uh, either stagnation or decline in, in your wealth. And looking at wealth from uh, like within your own family is somewhat difficult because like what bearing of wealth does like your uncle have on your own life? And so just things like that are interesting to talk about when uh, when you're talking about generational wealth disparities and, you know, all, all these other economic arguments. Yeah. And I, and, I, and one of the purposes actually of making this podcast is really because I feel that um, the belief in white supremacy is actually what's oppressing uh, the black population. Because if they feel that they can't really be successful, they feel that they can't be a millionaire because they're not white. I mean, that's obviously going to affect their psyche. That's obviously going to affect their self-image, their confidence, and pretty much their mental right, strength that really needs in order to be able to actually gain wealth. So, uh, I mean, and if 